Good morning, Blue Ridge Church. Oh, man. Whoa. Welcome. Well, yeah, maybe not that. So this morning, we're going to be looking, uh, continuing to look at our theme for the year of grace-driven transformation, which, which is a theme that comes from Romans 12. So hop over to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we talked about verse 1 last week. This week is verse 2. So pretty radical stuff here, but we're going to stick to it. But verse 1 is incredible because it's the great hinge of the book of Romans. It's after 10 chapters, uh, rather 11 chapters of uh, information and indications, we switch to so what? What does that mean for us? What do we actually do? Uh, and which is so important for all of us to really take a good hard look at because uh, our conduct and our behavior uh, obviously matters. And Romans, uh, the author of Romans, Paul, takes great pains to help us understand that. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, he says, God does not show partiality. God does not show favoritism. Just because you've done this or that or belong to this or that church or your parents are so-and-so or you said a prayer or you got wet one time when you got baptized, just because that happened does not mean you're going to automatically go make it to heaven. So Paul's trying to help, help wake us up. But as Andre shared earlier, so being, being woken up can be frightening at first, but fear is actually what wakes us up so that we can change. So fear is actually quite a good thing. We often think of it as bad, but fear often wakes us up to the reality of a situation. A lot of us know how scary it was yesterday in Hawaii, right, with the, with the false message sent to all the Hawaiians, ballistic missile inbound. This is, not a, this is not a drill, take cover now. And for 38 minutes, you know, people in Hawaii, you know, thought, they, okay, a missile is coming. We have 15 minutes. What do we do with our families? Anyway, the fear caused all of them to act, right? They all jumped. They sprang into action to, take from, to deal with what's most important. And that's what fear does with, with us and God as well. We're not meant to stay there, but it's meant to wake us up so that we can do what is most important. And so in the same way, living sacrifices here in chapter 12, Paul says, listen, the goal is for us to be living sacrifices. Not dead ones, not ones that only die and you're done and you go home and you, know, you go back to the way you're living. No, living continual sacrifices uh, this is actually a true and proper worship. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, verse 2 is going to help us out with what that actually looks like. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it's important for us to know as we do, we're jumping into chapter 12, hopefully all of us know it's very important when you read something in the Bible to read what comes before it and read what comes after it. Because otherwise we can be in danger of heresy, right? We can become in danger of saying something that was never meant to be said. And so I'm gonna, I, I was going to give like a good Romans road kind of build up, but please read Romans 1 through 11 so we know what got us here. I don't want to get us into a position where we start thinking that this verse applies to all of us because it does not. This verse only applies to those who have already done what happens in chapters 1 through 11, okay? Namely, chapter 6, uh, which uh, we'll look at here in a second. So, chapter 6 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What does that sound like? It sounds like transformation, right? It sounds like the best kind of transformation, which is very easily seen. And the most final thing 
that the spirit can think of, the most finite thing, which is death. Death, right? And baptism is compared here to a burial. What kind of person do you bury? A dead one. So even if, for those of us in the room, maybe who were baptized at some point in our lives, but if it was done out of obedience, if it was done and there was no death to your former way of life, it was not baptism. It was just simply getting wet. It was taking a bath. But there was no circumcision of the heart. There was no pledge of a good conscience. So this is very important because Paul says, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, no, no. Don't you remember you were baptized? Don't you remember you died? And, he's, and then the Spirit's goal now, after we receive the Spirit at baptism, is to help churn in us that transformation. Amen? So that's, that's the goal. And the title of today is, I'm Sensing a Pattern. I'm Sensing a Pattern. Now, some of us, right, we, some of us know the answer to that, that pattern up there. What's, what's the next number in the sequence, okay? But it's 3, 6, 9, 12, and then blank, right? Some of us, uh, we, we, we think we know, but maybe we're going to be surprised by the answer later, perhaps. But we think we have a good sense of what that is. Well, why do we know? It's unknown, but why do we know? Well, because we know the pattern. And if you know the pattern, you know what's coming next. And we all live according to patterns. Patterns are like habits, okay? The word here is this idea, it's uh, the word schema. If any of us have done I Choose Us or Good Enough Parenting, it's like built on this like word here. Schema, which is, they, they use the word life trap. But that's this word, schema, okay? It's, it's, it's to conform. It's to be molded, to be shaped, uh, to be formed into something else. And the question is, is what, what kind of pattern are you using? What is your life being formed around? Or who is your life being formed around? Because the more you know the preceding numbers, the more you'll be able to know what comes next. And if you look in the verse, a pretty special thing happens in this verse. It says, uh, then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is. How cool is that? That we actually get to know God's will. We will actually get to be aware of God's will. And it won't be because of our emotions. It won't be because of our culture. It won't be because of any experience we've had. It'll be because we actually are that intimate with the Holy Spirit that we will have a good sense of what's coming next and what we should do because we know the pattern. But let's talk about culture today for a little bit, okay? Let's talk about culture. Culture's a big deal. Uh, and Christians and people who are part of the church, who've decided to become a disciple, they deal with the world in one of two ways, right? First, uh, they get kind of scared of the world. They don't know how to relate to the world. So they hide, they shrink back. This is called exclusivity. So, and this is how some even Christian sects or even other religions can be, right? It's like uh, the Amish, for example. We're literally going to go live on our own, do our own thing, run away, hide. Uh, uh, doctrine aside, which doctrine may be all fine, but their, their, their decision in, uh, in regard to culture is to not deal with it at all. We're going to do our own thing over here. Some of us can respond that way to culture. We, get, and we, we, we look at it, we see it, and we, we avoid, we want to avoid the suffering of having to deal with it. Uh, perhaps the shame that comes along with how the world treats us because we are different. And so the world's shaming techniques, and the world is good at using shaming techniques, to get you to change. Because once you change, once you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will look different. The, goal, the, the challenge is, will we stay different? Will we stay distinct? Or will we become exclusive and try to hide and not, not invite anybody over from work into our home because we think, oh no, what if, what if they ask a question that's awkward? Or what if I don't know how to answer? Or what? And then so our fear, our shame actually causes us to shrink back and be exclusive. And so we actually make it really hard for the world to get to know us because we put up these walls and, and, and it's actually really similar. It's fear. It's fear-based. It's fear-induced. 
But it's the same fear that's to be, that is uh, involved in the other response to the culture, which is instead of becoming exclusive and hiding, we conform. We assimilate. We look no different. And so when we start to be different or act different and the world shames us and says, why would you do that? Or you're so close-minded. Or how could, why wouldn't you do it this way or that way? And the world is good at these things. Um, and making you look weak, making you look stupid, making you seem stupid, making you seem different. Ex- you know, all these are shaming techniques that are innate in human beings. But instead of hiding, you actually say, no, 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 I'm just like you. And so you begin to do everything they do. You begin to do, you look, no, you are not distinct at all. Now you've blended in. And a lot of religions in the world actually look a lot like their culture. They actually look really similar to their culture. But Christianity is different. Christianity is the one religion, the one faith that is distinct no matter what culture it's in. It will always be distinct. It'll always mean being an alien and a stranger to be a Christian. It will always. Let me walk you through why. The early Christians, they believed in a lot of things because... You know, they were sensing, they were trying to build their pattern around Jesus, right? And that pattern was, in regard to family, what, and sexuality was pretty strong. It was, okay, sex before marriage, no. Obvious, that's an obvious no. Not even just sex before marriage, but like actual purity between people, right? Actual purity between a brother and a sister in Christ. And actually purity in how we view each other, right? Uh, sexuality in terms of uh, homosexuality, no. Like that is, no, that is not godly. It is not God's plan. Uh, revenge. No, forgive your enemy. The poor. Yeah, no, give to the poor. Actually, give a lot to the poor. Take care of them while you can. Go give them food. Give them what you can. Take care of them. Uh, Reconcile. Forgive. All those things are very different. But if we split it in half, if we say, all right, go to the Middle East right now. Let's all get on a plane. Let's go there now. And let's tell them our plan. And we say, all right, we believe that it's inappropriate to have sex before marriage. Middle East, Saudi Arabia might say, that is, we agree. Yes, family, got it. And we might say, we actually believe, you know, yeah, the, the homosexuality, yeah, is not part of God's plan. Uh, they, they may say, yes, we agree. But then we start to say, actually, we believe in forgiveness. We forgive our enemies. Oh, no, 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 no. See, no, no, eye for an eye. Punish. Revenge. God will bring punishment to the world. That's, that's a Middle East, that's, a, that's an Arabian thing, right? What if we did that same thing now in Charlottesville? And we said, hey, like reconciliation and forgiveness. Charles would say, yes, that's so great and open-minded. And it makes it feel great and forgiveness, right? And we say, yes, we, we believe that. We also believe in sexual purity. They might say, oh, you closed-minded. And that's not, that is not appropriate. And how could you, right? So no matter what culture you're going to be in, you're going to stand out. And so is, is, is the pattern of your life formed around your culture? Or is it, is it conformed to your culture? Or is it transformed by God? God will always be distinct. God will always be different. And that's the great thing about Jesus is he, he's not just only going to... Christianity doesn't just thrive in one culture. Have you ever noticed there are certain sects, certain faiths that only really do well in one culture? But the second you try to bring it to another continent, it doesn't do well? Christianity is not that way, right? Uh, Asia, China, right? It was 1% Christian 50 years ago. Uh, now it's upwards of 50% Christian, right? Africa, booming in Christianity. Europe, right? They're kind of on the downside, but they, they were kind of known for Christianity, right? Christianity can thrive anywhere because it's not about the culture. It's about God. True Christians will always be distinct, but they'll always be engaged. That's the hard part. How can we be distinct, but also be engaged? Hop over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 real quick. This is a big deal for all of us because we could think, we talked about this last week and this past Wednesday, we could believe we're following God, but turns out we're just following our culture. 
which is very scary because just because everyone in Charlottesville or wherever you're from may agree that God may think that, we have to be able to test and approve what God's will is, and it may not actually align with your culture. And it's sure, it's easy. It's easy. I felt this. I've gone to UVA and shared my faith with random people. I've walked up to them, and it can be easy to kind of talk more about, you know, acceptance and diversity and those things because I know that they're going to dig it. They're going to be like, yeah, right on, go God, you know. It can be easy to do that. It can be easy probably in Harrisonburg at JMU to kind of sense like what they're going to be cool with and kind of hide the things that they may not be cool with. But what are we doing? We're filtering and we're compromising the gospel. And if we're doing that, we're actually not allowing the Holy Spirit to transform lives. We're just peddling some faith, not even really faith, we're peddling some organization to people. And it's not, it's, it's devoid of Christ. It's devoid of Jesus. And so we're in danger of actually, I don't think any of us want to, we're, I think a lot of us have given up a lot to Christ, at least, right? We've, we've given, I don't want to fight my whole life. I don't want to give up sacrifice just to find out that I've been doing it for myself the whole time, that I've been doing it for me or doing it for Mike Mines or doing it for Janice Mines or doing it for my wife or doing it, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I, I want to be able to serve Jesus. I want to be able to serve God. Um, and so this is very important to all of us. And in First Thessalonians, this is powerful. We get a chance to see how they're engaged and distinct. This is a church that really only had a leader for three weeks. Can you imagine, right? Can you imagine if Jenny and I were here for three good weeks this year and then we said, adios, or we'll write your letters once every couple years, but God will work, right? How would you feel? How would you, would you be good about that? Would, would, would the church grow? Would your family group grow? Would, would it be okay? Like, this is, this is Thessalonica. This is them. Paul was there for three weeks he had, and he left. He had to go. He had to get out. But here, look at 1 verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 Paul writes, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now that is distinct. When you begin to really turn from your idols, you'd actually give up. When you become a disciple, this is, this is what should happen, right? Is when you become a disciple... And you go get baptized as you make a decision to no longer serve the things that used to give you security, but now actually serve the one and true living security. So you actually stop working all those jobs because it gives you security as a man. You actually stop spending all your time trying to make people at school happy. You actually stop trying to get acclaim from your friends. You actually stop trying to be a really good mom. And that's kind of the one thing that has you going is that I'm a good mom. You turn from those things. And you start giving all that to God. Now, that is distinct. For, for a lot of us, when we become disciples, people start to see it. And they should see it. You should be distinct. No, I'm not going to go see that movie. You know, no, I'm not going to go out to the bar if we're just going to go get drunk, right? I'm not going to do that. Why? Why? Come on, man. We actually had a great yeah, big question night with the Yo Pros on Thursday about how we felt that when the, uh, how, has our, how has our behavior changed because of the world shaming us? Uh, and that was really good. And everybody, it seemed like everybody shared. But yeah, you know, I didn't want to do this. And they, made, you know, they, they looked at me. They treated me different. Or they, they pulled back from friendship. And the world does that to try to get us to go back into their mold, back into their pattern. But so it is distinct when we actually leave those idols. But it's not just about being distinct. It's about being engaged. And this is the part, I think, probably for us, for the most part, that we struggle with. Being engaged. Right? And here in chapter 2, verse 9... Uh, 2 verse 8, rather. 2 verse 8 says, 
So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share you share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. You know, a good point was made about this recently. Who is sharing their life with whom here? Well, it's, it's that Paul says when we were there and we were Christians and we were reaching out to you who were not Christians, we shared with you not just the gospel. Well, we shared that for sure. But we actually shared our lives. This is about non-Christians. We think, oh, yeah, let's share our lives with each other in here. But how are we sharing our lives with those in the world? Are we sharing the gospel with those in the world? This is a part that's difficult because we can think, oh, I'm a Christian. Let me just try to come to church and make it and have things in my life happen my way. And when I pray, it's about me getting what I want more. It's about me getting more blessings, getting more coming my way. But actually, it's instead, no, we got to stay engaged with the world because if we really believe this, that God's wrath is coming, C.S. Lewis said, if you're a Christian and you don't share your faith, you are one of the most selfish people I've ever met. Because you believe in God's wrath, but you won't tell others about that wrath. You won't help them. You won't bring them into your home. And, you know, but let's be honest. We want to avoid the tension. We don't like the tension. We wish it was just easy, right? I remember studying the Bible with Landon Dorier. There wasn't a lot of tension with Landon. He was like, man, just, just baptize me, man. I'm done. I need help. He's asking for, he's asking for help at all the time. We're doing Bible studies over, over Skype because he was in Harrisonburg, you know, and he was, I remember trying to like scare him off. Like, what if, you know, this happens? What if that happens? Are you, are you still going to be a Christian? And he's like, yes, I'm going to be a Christian. Can we just get to the baptism, please? Like, I'm, nothing will stop me. Nothing will stop me. And I'm just like, all right, let's get this guy to the pond here. He's, he's pretty eager, right? We, 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 we kind of wish that everything was as easy as, as that. Now, God had prepared Landon's heart in an incredible way. But sometimes, like me, I was really difficult. I called Nick all the time, the guy who helped me become a disciple, and thank him. Because it took me a year and a half of a lot of pride, a lot of, I didn't see that I needed help. I thought I was already good. I had a lot of, I brought a lot of tension with me. But Nick stayed engaged with me. Nick stayed distinct. He said, no, bro, this is what purity is. This is what, this is what it looks like to be a man of, of purity, a man of faith, a man of godliness. And that's what actually inspired me, was seeing not so much that he was just one or the other, but he was engaged in my life, sharing his life and the gospel with me, but also distinct of this is who I am. And this is who I am because of God. And that's what really inspires us, church. And that's what really is going to help change Charlottesville, is not just becoming a church. And there's enough churches, right? There's enough faiths out there that just basically link up with the culture. But we, we have to be able to remain distinct and be okay with that. A lot of the Bible is, don't be surprised. Why are you surprised? Right? First Peter 4, actually, First Peter pretty much is written like to a church that is being killed. They're being um, burned to, to death. They're being torn apart by uh, wild animals because of their faith. And Peter writes the book of First Peter. The whole book's about suffering. He's saying, hang in there. Don't worry. Let's actually hop over to First Peter right now. Peter's trying to help them understand something. Do not give up. And I think Peter understood probably a little bit about the temptation to conform, even when it meant uh, some tension. Peter was a great example, right? Or let's say a really bad example, but a, a great example of conformity. When the servant girl approaches him and says, aren't you with Jesus? Don't you know Jesus? And Peter says, no, I've never heard of him. Because of fear, he changes, right, his conviction. He tries to save himself. So Peter's uh, an example of this. And so as Peter writes this, he's trying to help the church understand. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, don't be surprised when they heap abuse on you because you do not join with them in the same flood of dissipation. 
They, they, they're going, don't be surprised. They will heap abuse on you. They'll probably treat you different. They'll probably say things, right? And in 1 Peter, let's look in chapter 1 for our own purposes. I want to ask the question this morning, how can we be this way? We've talked about it. We've discussed the, the, the temptation to avoid uh, tension and how both are really rooted in fear, right? I don't want my kids to be influenced by the world, so I will hide them from the world. I don't want, so we go exclusive or we go conform and we say, I don't want my kids to feel the tension of the world. So I want my kids just to be the same. I want them to be in every activity. I want them to excel academically. And so we, I don't want, and so we can, we got to ask ourselves first and foremost, how we, how can we really be this way? And the first thing is we have to admit that we already have a pattern. Admit that you already have a pattern and ask yourself, what is it? What pattern am I living according to right now? What pattern is it? A lot of us, it could be uh, family. This is how my mom did it. Let's say you're a parent. Let's say you have a newborn or something. And you might think, my pattern is, I just always think, what did mom or dad do for me? I'm going to do the same thing. Or you might think the opposite. I did not like what mom and dad did, so I'm going to do everything they didn't do with my kid. Well, your pattern, right, it's just, it's just an empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. And that's what this says right here. 1 Peter 1. Uh, we'll start a little earlier than 18. Um, We'll look in 14. As obedient children, do not conform. There it is. Same word. That word's only used twice in the whole Bible. Here it is, and also Romans 12. Conform. It's the idea of being molded together, being fashioned into the world's shape. That same word. Do not conform, right? As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have uh, purified yourselves from obeying the truth, that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Okay, so he's talking about family here. Sometimes our pattern can be what's handed down from our ancestors, right? He says that. Sometimes our pattern can be what our families have done. Sometimes the pattern can be uh, a pattern of just, you know what, this is just what I've always done. He says, remember your ignorant way of life. You know, sometimes we get baptized and we don't really allow the spirit to change the parts of us that are a little bit more uncomfortable. You know, what are those patterns for you? Is it a pattern of independence? A pattern of self-reliance? A pattern of no one really knows how you're doing, right? Until things get really bad. Or a pattern of deceit. You kind of like to dress it up, right? You, when something does happen, you dress it up to make it sound better. Could be a pattern, uh, you know, of fear. A pattern of insecurity. But how exciting is it that we actually get to replace that pattern? And how it was shared earlier that we get a chance to renew our minds. That's where this battlefield is, by the way, is the mind. The battlefield is here. We get a chance to renew the pattern. We get a chance to replace it with Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, here it is. The bold up there. 
How do we replace the pattern with Jesus? Well, we do it with the precious blood of Christ. The first thing we have to do was admit that we already have a pattern. The second thing we have to do is we have to see the blood of Christ as precious. We have to see Christ as precious. Now, what does that mean? To see God, to see Christ as precious. If something is precious to you, it's valuable, right? Let's say you go to the doctor. And the doctor says, listen, you're going to die. But there's a medicine that will save you. It's very expensive. And you can get this medicine, but it might mean that you have to actually sell your house. So I don't know if you want to do that or not. Right? Any of us would go, uh, yes, please. I will sell the house and get this medicine that saves me. For sure. What good is the house if I'm dead? Well, you might have to sell your car to buy it because it's, it's really expensive, like really expensive medicine. You might, not, you might not want to do it. To sell your car, you probably wouldn't. No, no, no. no. That's fine. House, car, I'm selling both. That's, yes, that's precious because your life is precious to you, right? And so when your life is precious to you, the things that have a cost don't matter anymore. And so the question for all of us this morning is, is Christ precious to you? Because if, if the blood of Christ is precious, then the cost of other things doesn't matter so much. You're telling me I have to read my Bible in the morning? Well, man, I, I can't get up that early. Well, Christ isn't precious to you. You're telling me I've got to pray? I can't pray. It's just too, I, I don't like to pray. I don't like to read because I like to listen to the Bible instead and I can't find a version that I like or I can't, I don't have enough time or if I just, I don't have my kids. You know, is Christ precious to you? Well, I can't because if you knew what it was like at work, you know, it's hard right now or, you know, it's just difficult or is Christ precious to you? It's not about your ability to succeed is the question. It's is Christ precious to you? When Christ is precious to you, you begin to allow that pattern to take shape. And let's replace our, our empty, stupid, fake patterns with the precious pattern of Jesus. Let's replace it. because it, And what's exciting about all that is this verse says, listen, it wasn't with silver or gold. It wasn't with what the world thinks is valuable. It was with the precious blood of Jesus. And you know what? Why did he come? The scripture says, well, it was for your sake. Right? It was for you that all this happened. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, basically disregarding its shame. Even Jesus had to disregard the shame of the world. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Rather, Christ made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we think about these verses. How can Christ be made precious to you? Well, you're precious to him. You were already made precious to him. And isn't that already all the easier? Isn't it easier to really love someone when they've already loved you with all their heart? Isn't it easy to just come back to them? They've already shown they love you. It's hard to love somebody that doesn't love you. But somebody who's not just loved you, but accepted you. Jesus was able with you, and this is incredible, to be constantly engaged with you despite your sin, despite your constant shortcomings, Despite your sexual impurity, despite your addiction to pornography, despite your addiction to drugs, despite your 
infidelity, right? Despite your pride, despite your arrogance, despite uh, how you look down on people, your condescending, your prejudice, despite all that, Christ stayed engaged with you, but he also stayed distinct with you. He did not give up on you, so let's not give up on each other. Let's not give up on him. But let's have Christ be precious to us. And in this way, we can no longer be slaves to the pattern of the world. And that's why we've got to be awake here, church, is that we've got to realize that we are slaves to what the world says in that case. This culture will fall. I love studying history, right? I love it. We went to Ephesus, and they're trying so hard to reconstruct it. But they used to have these big temples, temples that would amaze people and say, wow, the temple of Artemis, wow, the Greek gods must be real because that temple's massive. That temple now is gone, right? Civilizations will be dust. No matter how much we try to preserve it, it will be gone. Will we be people who are slaves to our culture that was maybe acceptable for a few seconds? Or will we be truly children of God who bear an incredible family resemblance to their father? And that no matter what happens, we don't actually have to wait and see. What if, what if uh, the America changes their opinion? What if it suddenly becomes like really cool to, uh, you know, like get revenge, but you know what? And they switch their family stance. Like, what will we do? It's stressful to have to always just be a slave to what the world says. You know, the, the verse I just read is that the, the punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that brought us peace, you know, actually having Jesus as our pattern brings us peace. Because we'll do our best at work. But if we don't get the promotion, we're okay. Because you know what's precious to us? Not the promotion, Jesus. Well, we will do our best in our marriage. We will love and forgive and try to reconcile with our wife or our husband. Why? Not because of them, but because Christ is precious to us. We will try to go about that and we will be distinct. And as we close out, church, I want to ask you a series of questions. I want to ask us to really take a good hard look at our patterns. Take a good hard look to no longer conform to a pattern of fear, but be transformed by his pattern. You know, Jesus was the definition of a foreigner of an, and an alien. He was not accepted by anyone, even his friends. He was not accepted in that at the end time. But church, are we driven by fear of suffering, afraid of standing out? You know, maybe instead of thinking about how you can blend in at work or school to avoid tension, You'll be thinking ahead of time about how to share your life with someone, how to share the gospel with them. Perhaps instead of waiting for someone in the church to meet your needs, you'll be eager to meet theirs. How about instead of entertaining evil thoughts and letting bitterness and fear grow in your heart week after week, you'll pick up the phone and call a brother or sister and be real and be open and pray together. How about instead of thinking individually about what's best for you, what job is best for you, what decision is best for you, how about you think, what job is best for the church? What decision is best for the church? How about instead of thinking that you're ill-equipped to share the gospel with someone or thinking that you, you don't know what to say, you'll remember that you have Jesus and you'll always have somebody over for a meal with the explicit purpose to just share Someone you know that changed your life. To share with them the story of how you met God. Perhaps instead of hiding and not showing up to meetings of the body or waiting for the church to track you down like SEAL Team 6, you'll pick up the phone, start typing a text, or knock on a door of a fellow disciple that is not here today or that, is, that needs help. 
And you'll give instead of wait to be given to. You know, we are God's children, church. And we got to start allowing the Spirit to change the way we think. And it is not easy. You will not be able to just leave today with this sermon and say, wow, that did it. Whew. That sermon really did it. Thanks. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, God. Right on. It won't happen. Hopefully what, this spirit, hopefully what the Spirit is doing now is waking you up to the necessity, the need to go find Christ precious on an everyday basis. To go, you know, I love the quote by Samuel Johnson. There's nothing that sharpens a man's mind like knowing he's going to be hanged in the morning. I love that quote. Because what does it do? That fear wakes us up. That you know what? God's wrath is indeed coming like 1 Thessalonians 1 says. It's true. And if it's true, there has to be a response. I've got to actually, I've got to make sure that I view Jesus' Christ, Jesus' blood as precious. Christ's blood as precious. Because when that happens, don't worry about having to try to be distinct. You will be distinct. You will make decisions to give amounts of money to foreign missions that are insane. And people will go, why? You gave how much? And you won't do it for them. You won't do it for the impression. You'll do it because Jesus' blood is precious. You'll make decisions in regard to your kids and them not being engaged in sports or academic pursuits because the, their spiritual life comes first. And the other parents will go, what? Little Johnny's not, well, he's not going to be captain of, of the trombone squad, right? <laughs> How, do you know what's happening? You're going to say, what's, what's priority to me is my son's spiritual health, not his ability, right, to excel, at this uh, worldly event. Now, those things aren't bad, but sometimes what we do is we conform to the world and we don't even know it. We will be distinct if Christ's blood is precious to us. We will have a new pattern. We will will not give up on people. People that treat us like garbage will still love them. That's distinct. People that deserve to never be forgiven, you'll forgive. That's distinct. People that deserve to be treated poorly, you will treat the same. In fact, you will treat them with special honor. That's distinct. The world will see you and you will finally be able to be what Jesus was, which is a light. And it won't be because we all left here and we're super able and, and equipped and smart and sharp and competent. It'll be because we know that Jesus' life, Jesus' blood is precious to us. We actually sang a great song today. I took a picture of it and I want to read the verse because I hope we really thought about it. I thought about it for my lesson. We sang these words as we wrap up here. I'll close out with this. We sang these words. Oft as it is sprinkled on our guilty hearts, Satan in confusion, terror struck departs. Oft as earth exulting wafts in praise on high, angels hosts rejoicing make their grad reply. Lift ye then your voices, swell the mighty flood, louder still and louder, praise the precious blood. And so we, got, we had a chance today for the Spirit to really work. I'm glad we sang that song. I didn't set it up. But we got a chance to actually sing Praise the Precious Blood. And a lot of you thought that number was 15, didn't you? A lot of you were sure of it. You were certain, but it's not. It's Jesus. All right? 3, 6, 9, 12, Jesus, right? We got to change our mindset. We got to change the way we think. Now, the math majors or the math folks are saying, no, it's still 15. What's he saying? What I'm saying is that sometimes we've got to take a look and we have to actually change our pattern to be like Jesus. Church, let's replace our patterns and let's praise the precious blood. Amen.